Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. John 7, 25 through 36. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they were trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not from here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but you know, you do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, he will do more miraculous signs than this man. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Lord, um... Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I just pray that you would open this up to us, um, open this story up to us. Um, Jesus, let us know more who you are. And um, God, I just ask for connection with you this morning. Um, Lord, in the places maybe where there is sin in our life, God, um, I pray that we would not... um, move away from you, but we would move towards you, and we would be connected to you, God, um, and we'd receive deep satisfaction in knowing you, um, and release the things in our life that are, um, that are less, lesser gods, and, uh, I just thank you and praise you, and I pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. As we continue to move forward in in John chapter 7 here, we're in the festival section of of John where he's kind of working his way through all the different festivals, the the spaces that they they had set apart, set sideways, kind of set to the point to make God known, celebrate what he has done in their life. And Jesus kind of steps in, and in each of these different festivals, he's kind of pointing at how each festival really points to him. And the right way to understand this isn't just a religious system and, and working through this. And so... Like we said last week, this chapter, chapter 7 is kind of this continuation of, of opposition and, and coming, and God is really faithful to give us a lot of really wonderful nuggets through chapter 7. Last week, we, we talked about how we can truly know Jesus is who he says he is, and that's based on how he is under authority, the will of God, and how he does everything for the glory of God. And so we, challenged, um, we were challenged by the word just asking ourselves, are we under authority? Are we seeking our glory or his? 
I said last week that there's no way to obey God and not submit to Jesus. There's no way to live rightly before God and seek your own glory. Going into this section right here, as, as you just heard what Amanda had read, this is a continuation of Jesus teaching in the middle, like the dead center of the week of this festival, kind of at this point, moving towards what he's going to say ultimately when they're doing the last part of the water ritual for this festival, he's going to say, I'm the living water. He's going to point it back to him and him being the way to God. And we see this section that Jesus kind of confronts the opposition with at this point now, in this section, where he is from and where he's going. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea because there's, there's all kinds of things that they're aware of that they know about Jesus. They, they know that he came out of Nazareth. They don't necessarily maybe aren't paying attention to his birth story or where he was originally, but, but they're, they're trying to figure out essentially, is Jesus, is he this Messiah? And that's even the questions that you see some of these people asking, like, could this be the Messiah? This, surely this couldn't be the Messiah. And what, what, you're, what you're seeing is there was a kind of a pretty um, big teaching and understanding, and we see it kind of even all the way up in the second century. We see this idea that rabbis taught that the Messiah would show up out of nowhere, that even the Messiah himself wouldn't know who he was. And that's out of, they kind of take that loosely from Malachi 3.1, where it says, for, um, it says that God's messenger will, some, will come suddenly to the temple. And so this idea of, of maybe we, we shouldn't know where he's coming from, but we know where Jesus is coming from. And so they get in this conversation with Jesus, this argument with Jesus, which is interesting because there's a crowd of people now, and we know that some of them are, are enticed, excited about what he's teaching, and some of them are, are getting more and more offended by it. And we know that there's religious leaders in the middle of this teaching, or in the middle of the section, that are like trying to arrest him, to kill him, seeking to destroy him. And so it's kind of this, this weird kind of hodgepodge crowd of people that everyone's going, it, is he, are you the Messiah? Are you truly the Son of God? And that's what this conversation, this argument is about. But really what we see, just like Nicodemus, just like the woman at the well, and just like the crowds, when Jesus teaches, because they are not surrendered to the will of the Father, they continually hear what Jesus speaks about, and they look to the, the present in front of them. With Nicodemus, it's like, how can I be born again? With the woman at the well, it's like, give me that water so I don't have to come out here to this physical well anymore. People keep continuing to see Jesus and meet him with what his teachings are at a very basic level. So even here, when he says, where I'm going and where I have come from, they instantly go to the physical. Hey, we, we know you're a man of Nazareth. And at this point, a good amount of the Jews in this area would have understood that the Messiah was to be born out of Bethlehem, and maybe that hadn't stuck to his story when he came back in. Maybe they were missing that side of it, or maybe they had just taken this teaching of this idea of the Messiah coming out of nowhere and not even knowing that they're the Messiah Maybe they'd taken that too far. But either way, these people, they continually are in opposition with Jesus. It says in this section that they, they, the authorities asked for him to be arrested. Now, the authorities, it's the Sanhedrin. It's, it's, it, it's an interesting thing because essentially for this to happen, there, was a, there were officers on the Temple Mount that were kind of under the, the following of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin could do anything illegally within Israel and the Jerusalem and the people in that regard, as long as it wasn't anything that Rome wanted. And so Rome kind of is like, okay, you guys can do that stuff, but you need us for execution. You need us. Like, you deal with your own sort. So these, these officers would have been Levites, most likely. And these, these, these officers were told to go and arrest Jesus. But what's interesting, for that to happen, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the elders would have had to have worked together. And, and they rarely worked well together. And yet, when a common enemy comes, look at what happens. 
And so here they are working together, and they go to try to arrest him. And, and we don't know, like, Jesus is standing on the Temple Mount. It's a big area. We don't know exactly where in the temple he's, he's teaching. But he just, even after the, the authorities say go arrest him, he doesn't get arrested. He doesn't get, he doesn't get taken away. In fact, we don't know why. We, like, he just continues to teach. We do see that the, maybe the reason why was that the people that were trying to arrest him were amazed by his speaking because we see down in, in verse 46 when, the, when he shows up and the, the, they're like, why don't you have Jesus with you? Saying, we've never heard anyone speak like this before. What, like with such authority. What, what, we've, just, we've just never heard anyone speak like this before. And so they didn't take him. In this, in this text though, and this is where I really wanted to spend the rest of our time today. In this text, Jesus says one of the most disconcerting like statements ever. One of those statements that I feel like all too often we can kind of just read past and, and apply to those people, whoever those people are in our mind. In this, in this situation, we can just say, oh, that's those, 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 those Jews that did not get it in this time, those religious leaders. It is applying to those people. But the statement that Jesus says, it's not one that he just says here alone. It's something he says over and over and over again in the Gospels. It's this statement that where I'm going, you cannot come. As I was reading through this, I kept thinking about it. And he's literally pleading to the people, saying, look, where I'm going, you cannot come. And I feel like the first question I would ask may be like them. What do you mean? Where are you going? How can I not come? We see even, and I'll get there in a second, we see that even the disciples ask that question of him. But if you had settled in your heart that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the way to life, that Jesus is our Savior, then the worst thing we can ever hear is where I'm going, you cannot be with me. And I started thinking about that. Like, what would that mean to me if Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come? How would that feel? Where would that, where would that take you? And what's sad is in this section, he says this to a massive amount of people that are trying and striving and earnestly and exhaustingly following all the commands and the laws that they can in hopes to be where God is, and Jesus is ultimately going to God. We'll see this. So where is Jesus going? This is what we, we should probably answer that question. John 16, 28 says it this way. I came from the Father, and I come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So I came from the Father. I came into the world. We see this in John 1. He, he was the incarnation. The, the Word became flesh. He left the throne room with God. He left the presence of God, put on flesh, was born into this world, and left the Father. And then ultimately, after his resurrection, we'll go to the Father again. Or he says it this way in John 8, 21. He says, um, so he said to them, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. For where I'm going, you cannot come. And so, okay, Jesus is headed to the Father. Now we see another understanding here that, that, that it's our, our sin that we're going to die in, and because of dying in our sin, we can't then go where Jesus is going. Jesus says it even more disheartening in Matthew. He says it this way, Not everyone who says to me, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father, of my Father, who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then, I, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, this, is a, this is a death blow 
to people that are striving to follow the law. Like striving hard to follow the law. For him to say that there's a work that needs to happen. Your, your work is, you're not doing the will of the Father. You're doing all these laws, but ultimately you are going to be cast away from me because you are a worker of lawlessness. This would have really messed with the minds of those people. And what's sad to me is that we kind of just read through this because we know the end of the story and be like, oh yeah, cool, that must be those people again. It must be those people. But we see that Jesus said this already earlier in John here, that the work, what works must we do? And he says, the work is to believe in me. It's the belief in me. So how do we get there then? How do you and I get there? And you, 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 this moment would probably go, okay, okay, I know this. I know the answer. I've kind of sat, like I can, I can just kind of tell the end of it. And, and I'm just going to encourage you to just not run to the end yet. Because I think that God really wants to do something in every single one of our hearts today in this text like he's done in mine this week. See, the disciples asked this. John 13, 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? And Jesus answered him. This is right before the garden. This is right before he rested. Where, am I go- where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Now. But you will follow afterwards. And then you get the section in 37 and 38 where Jesus tells Peter about his rooster crowing situation. And he goes on in 14, 1 through 7. says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am going, that where I am, you, all, you may also be. You may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas steps in and says to him, Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Everyone's stuck on this idea of Jesus leaving them. And at this point, when Thomas is saying this, they spent at least three years, at minimum three years with Jesus, every single day, time and time again, waking up, there he is, going to sleep, there he is, walking throughout the day, there he is, teaching and miracles and all those things. They were with him, and he's saying he's going to leave them, but there's this promise in there, but I will come back for you. And Thomas, I feel like, has a moment of panic, like many of us today, Wait, wait, wait. Okay, how do I how do I stay how do I stay in this? Like, if you're leaving, how how do I make sure that I'm where you're going to be when you come back? And Jesus says to him, "Here's our answer. I'm the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on." You do know me. You do know him and have seen me. See, this is the opposite of what he says in our text today in verse 28. Verse 28, he says it this way. The end of it, he says, He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. Okay, so to get where Jesus is taking us, or to go where Jesus is, which we now know is to be with the Father, which in every single good first century Jewish soul, they wanted to be in the kingdom of God. And for all of us today, as we talk about the resurrection and the life that comes in Jesus Christ, we want to be in that kingdom. So to do so, it's through Jesus, and we must believe in him. So what does it mean to believe in him? Do you believe that Jesus is God in human form, as it says in John 1? 
Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, for which you deserved eternal separation from God? Romans 6.23 tells us about that. Do you believe these things? Do you believe that the sacrifice of Jesus, God incarnate, is only adequate, is the only adequate payment for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and does all that the Bible says he does and will do? Well, if you believe those things, then you get to go with him. Then you don't have to hear, well, did I not do this thing? Well, then how do I, how do I be in your presence? You can, you can say, great, I'm with you. But the thing that I think we struggle with, and even why I say that, you're like, okay, I believe those things, but I think maybe there's a little bit of Thomas in each of us going, I believe those things, but... I believe those things, but, but what about what I did yesterday? And what about this? And see, I think what happens unintentionally in the church specifically, if you spent any time here, is we think we graduate from this truth. We move on. We move on from the very gospel that brought life to us, the very gospel that's living water to our souls, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that he is the one that brings us to him. We move on from this to try and move into something else, and we forget the very basic fundamental that the belief in him is not just a head knowledge because even the demons believe. And Jesus has been saying over and over and over again, we just talked about last week, those who do the will of the Father. See, I think the reason why you and I wrestle with understanding that we will be where Jesus is with the Father when that time comes is because we see that our will ultimately is done for us. We see those things. Even when we started this service, there's many of you here that remained silent, but your thoughts went right to that thing that you needed to surrender. Every single one of us. And it's that, that hard truth that, that causes us to kind of recoil and retreat back because it's scary and, and, and how can we do this all the while forgetting that Jesus while we were dead in our trespasses went to the cross for us we don't graduate from this truth you don't move on if we move on we lose sight of the fact that there is grace upon grace upon grace for you for me for all and we don't have to hear those horrible words from Jesus where I'm going you cannot come you will die in your sins. Why? Because we believe in him. I think the reason why we wrestle with this is because we know if you take these scriptures and you read them at all, even at a basic level, even without studying them, you realize there are many incongruencies in your life when you lay it up against this scripture. You realize that, that Jesus doesn't just stop at saying believe. The scriptures don't just stop at saying, okay, just head knowledge, know it. Because I can tell you right now, the most orthodox believers are the demons. Every time Jesus cast them out, what do they say? Truly you are the son of God. They knew exactly who he was. It is not enough to just know that. It is our lives are to walk in that, to live this out. And part of living that out is pursuing the cross every day in our lives through repentance, through surrender. And we do this all by the power of the Holy Spirit that is ours in Jesus Christ. Really, there's about a thousand implications to believing in Jesus, and I wanted to just hit two because as I was praying about how to not make this sermon go for six weeks long, um, I realized there just needed to be a few. And so I asked the Lord, I said, okay, God, what do you feel like we as a church need to talk about? Two, just, just some implications 
of what believing Jesus as who he says he is really means in our lives. And I think the, the first one, like I said, we've already talked about, and so I, I came up with three. The first one is this idea that we don't graduate from this truth. That maybe if, if you hear nothing else today, maybe I just need to get you guys to remember to fall at the cross. Just fall before the cross. Stop carrying something that was not yours to carry. Stop walking in the sin that so easily entangles you because God has freedom for you. The second implication, and this one I think is really important coming out of the year that we came out of, is there are are so many implications to believing in this, especially if believing is ultimately that we are to do the will of the Father. So then you have to ask the question, okay, so, so where Jesus is going is back to the Father, and the only way to get there is so that we don't die in our sins. Okay, to not die in our sins is to believe that Jesus Christ, by faith alone, by grace alone, in him alone, is our salvation. So that means that everything he says, everything he does, everything that we, he says he is, we have to believe fully is true and not just in our head, but start living out and walking that out. It's not that our faith is, it's not that our works save us, but it's that our faith proves itself through works. It's that we see this working out. We see how, how justification and sanctification, all the shun words that we know, they play through the cross of Jesus Christ and then our lives are to look like this. And so the first one that I think would be really important for us to just just sit in this week is out of Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As a person that surrenders his life to being with Jesus, we should be the best at forgiving people. I mean, it, it, should be, it should be ridiculous at how good we are, not just saying sorry and moving on or, or not, not, not just ignoring sins, but being really good to step into the darkness and the brokenness of someone sinning against you and extending the forgiveness because the standard with which we do it is as Christ has forgiven you. We should be so good at this. You want to know how you know that you are with the Lord, one of the ways you can see it is how you extend forgiveness. How you walk in forgiveness. This is the point why I started there. Like many of us are forgetting to walk that we, we are forgiven in Christ. But are you willing to forgive others? I didn't get this slide for them, but Matthew just says it a different way. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How are you doing on this church? How are you doing? How are you doing about being a person that's forgiving? And again, I'm not just saying, oh, just ignore, move over. The, the, we can see that there is a, a psalm that talks about absorbing someone else's sin, and maybe you can do that occasionally. But how are you doing about actually actively walking out the forgiveness that God has given you in Christ Jesus? As a church, this is a present-day implication of belief. This is what it means to walk with the Lord. This is what it means to know him. Are you living true to who you are in Christ Jesus, which would make you a forgiving person? So right now, hear me on this, hear me on this. You guys want me to move on? I promise I'm not going to. Hear me on this. Right now, that person, you're wondering like, oh, do I need to? Should I? Let me just, let me just tell you something. The way that Christ forgave us wasn't with all kinds of conditions up front. He didn't wait for you to 
to create an opportunity for it. No, while you were dead in your trespasses, while you were sinning, while you were his enemy, he went to the cross for you. And so if you're right now having to ask the question, should I seek forgiveness? Do I need to forgive? So let me just, let me just lob this one out for you. Yes. Do it. I don't, I don't know in, in what situation. I, I believe in a room this size with the brokenness in this world that there are some deep wounds. I mean deep. I do not mean to make them seem, I'm not trying to be trite with them. I'm not saying that they aren't a matter of anything but I can't picture a way with which anyone has wounded me where I didn't wound the Father more in my own sin. So how dare we withhold grace and forgiveness to someone who Jesus went to the cross for? The instant we say, I will not forgive someone, we are at risk of saying, I don't understand how Jesus forgave me, and therefore I won't walk in it. We are to be a forgiving people a graciously generous, forgiving people. So if the Lord is stirring in you, I'll ask this one more time, because again, you want me to move on. The Lord is stirring in you. If you are even wondering if, oh man, he is so faithful. Lord, search my heart if there's anything in me. And he is so faithful, be like, well, here you go, Brent. Here you go, Brent, walk in that. Do so. And if you are not walking in that, if you are not willing to move in that, then, then, then let me just caution this. Let me throw this out a little bit more. If you know what you're supposed to do and you refuse to do it, and it's not a struggle, and you say, I know what you're asking me, Lord, but you're not doing it, that is unrepentant sin. That is turning yourself from the Lord and saying, I will walk in my own righteousness. And I I don't think you can make the cut in your own righteousness. So we'll move on. But forgiving people. That's the first implication I think that it comes to. If I were going to be in the presence of Jesus, where Jesus is going to be with the Father, I think the very first thing that we should always remember is that I'm in the presence of Jesus because of what he has forgiven me for. Because I, have, I couldn't have worked it there. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have given enough. I couldn't have showed up to church enough. I couldn't have served enough. I couldn't have done all those things enough because ultimately, if I don't surrender entirely to his forgiveness, he will say to me, I never knew you. Depart from me. Do you even see the, the beauty in that, the new, new you? It, it's about a relationship. So it, it makes sense then that he would say that forgiveness comes from the Father and you are to forgive each other as I have forgiven you because there's a relationship in that. It's not just to forget it and move on. It's no, I'm going to enter in relationally and it ta- I'm telling you guys, it hurts, it takes a cost. And many of you right now have checked out because you're like, I will not go there. Let me just ask you. Don't, don't recoil from the light. Bring that darkness to light. It loses its power over you. And you withholding forgiveness from someone is really just hurting you. Second implication that I believe is really important for us to understand, and this is one that I think we would instantly go, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's great. I got it. Move on. Bren, this is great. Is that he um, says it in John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, believers, just as I have loved you, you also too are, are to love one another. So again, the standard for love is Jesus' love for us, just like the standard for forgiveness is Jesus' forgiveness for us. So I think a way that we can know that we are entering into the relationship with Jesus is, is by our love for one another. And I feel like this has been a, a drum that I've kind of beaten for a while, so I'm not going to sit there very long, but I want to I focus in on one part of it real quickly. Every single one of us I mean, I see it in my kids. 
Every single one of us just longs to be loved. And many of us do really horrible things in hope that that love we may receive from someone or something will, will fill that hole. But every single one of us are longing to be loved. We, we, we desire to be loved, to be loved in a way that, that where someone can know everything about us, or maybe the way we would say it is that they would know most things about us and be okay with it. But here's the thing. Jesus knows absolutely everything he could about you. The very things that you are hiding in those dark spots, Jesus is like, yeah, I, I'm aware of those things. There is nowhere you can go that he isn't there. And so, so how are you doing at actively loving one another? And this one's hard because, again, we want to define love based on how we understand love. Well, I receive love this way, and no one's loving me this way. No, no, no. The standard isn't how we receive it or how we want to do it. The standard is how Jesus did it. Jesus did it perfectly. Jesus did it ridiculously. And then Jesus threw in all these other statements like, love your enemies. Oh, man. Let me just fill in enemies for you. Someone that's against you. Someone that believes a totally different ideology from you. It means if you sit on one political side or a different political side, you need to love your enemy who's on the other side. Love your enemies. And that standard, again, the love there isn't like, oh, it's a you know, second-degree love, like a little bit less than the whole John 13, 34 command there. It's a little less. No, the standard, again, is how did Jesus love? How are you doing at loving? Jesus also talks, and I want to hit this for a second. He also talks about how we are to operate in love with the world. Now, this one's hard. This one's really hard because the world sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's just broken and dark. Try loving someone while driving down Eagle Road. It's absolutely impossible. <laughs> it's just, it is just a mess out there. And yet, the child of God who has surrendered to Jesus, who has given themselves to him to believe then the belief will not just be a head knowledge, but will work itself out by the power of the Spirit inside of us into doing the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? Jesus says it this way in Matthew 25. He says, come, you who are blessed by my Father. He's speaking about the, like, the culmination of the kingdom, inviting people in. Inherit the kingdom before prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now hear that. This is important because we want to probably go real quickly to works. Inherit the kingdom of God prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So it's not a, a works thing by any means. But he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, now listen, hear that. The righteous, the right before God, what, what will they say? They will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or feed, hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And, and when did we see you stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, what's really difficult about this text is that basically means everyone. You want to, like, does Jesus care about injustice? He does. Right here we see it. Does Jesus care about every person? He doesn't say, you came and visited me in prison because I wasn't fully guilty. It was wrong. He just says, you visited me in prison. People are usually in prison because they've been deemed guilty. 
He doesn't say you fed me because it was really easy in your timeline and it worked or because you were going to get something in return. Instead, he says, no, you fed me because I needed it. See, the church should be so overwhelmingly saturated with forgiveness and so incredibly faithful at loving one another that when the outworking of that happens in our lives for the least of these, they should see grace, they should see forgiveness, they should see love, and they should be drawn into that. So church, we, one of the present-day implications of believing in Jesus is actually doing the things that Jesus asks us to do. And by asking, I mean, he, he actually commands them. Doing these things. What's interesting is we see our welcoming into the kingdom of God is based on our operation of the love for others. He says, here's, here's, how, here's how I know you are righteous. Not, not because you did these things that that made you righteous, but only someone who is right before the Lord would walk in these things. And so there should be an outpouring in every single one of our lives that costs us greatly where we get nothing in return. And not because we're like trying to like sidestep or, or you know, kind of get, get someone in the door so they can know Jesus. No, because Jesus just says, do this. He doesn't say so that they will believe. He just says, do this. This is what's true of who I am. This is what's true of the kingdom of God. Live like this. We should be a people that our schedules are regularly disrupted because of the inconvenience of the brokenness around us that we are engaging in by the power of the Holy Spirit pointing to the glory of Jesus Christ. So if you want to go where Jesus is, you must be with Jesus. If you want to be with Jesus, you must submit the entirety of your life to him. Die to yourself. That means in knowledge, faith, practice, obedience. Complete surrender to him and all that he is. And then a life lived by the power of the Holy Spirit and full surrender to him, even if you don't fully understand it, We'll spend a life living and learning more and more about who Jesus is and what it means to be a child of God and live in faithful obedience to this. It's not a works-based thing. Please hear me on this. This is not a works-based thing. He's not saying this because remember, it's at the foundation of the earth, the beginning of the world, this, this was done. The foundations, this happened, and then you just live in that. It's an outworking of faith. Now, I'm sure that many of you feel really great about yourselves right now. Because I know that as I was studying this, God crushed me in a lot of ways because I realized there's a lot of things that when I look at my life and I look at what God says in here, I go, they just don't match up. And the propensity and the easy, the easy way, the, the safe way to, would be to, okay, I'm just going to close that and I'll, I'll do the best I can with what I have. And you know what, God, you'll just have to figure out the rest. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not even going to get there. Or I'm like, God, I, I won't accept anything in me that isn't of you. I refuse to surrender to the bondage of slavery and sin when I've been freed from it at the cross. I refuse to let myself believe the lie that I am somehow on the outside because I have been saturated with your grace and love through Jesus Christ. And instead of saying, well, I'm not there yet, oh well, good luck, move on, or allowing myself to be lazy and say it's just too hard or too much work, to love like this or to forgive like this. And say, say, God, have your way with me. Do what you need to do. And then as I walk imperfectly along that line and I continue to mess up along the way, you know, the, the 
the scripture that Andy shared this morning about the things that lay down, the, the, the tangling, there's a race set before us. And he says in, in doing that, as you lay down those things that entangle you, as you, you remove those things and the sins which cause you to struggle, what does he say? He says, fix your eyes on the author, the perfecter, the founder of your faith, the complete your faith, that is Jesus Christ. It goes back to what I started at the very beginning. If you see yourself struggling to follow through and live out these present-day implications, you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. And here's the really beautiful thing because I know many of you right now, because I felt it all week long, like, man, I am, I am not dying to myself in this way. I continually choose to try and walk in the old self. I continually go to that closet of old self and find that, that coat that used to be myself, and I try to put that back on over this new creation that I am. And I was reminded Jesus did something so powerful for me this week. I was reminded that when I believed, when I received, when I surrendered to his truth, I surrendered to a crucified Savior. I surrendered to someone who took every bit of myself and that old self and took all the punishment for that on the cross. And that wasn't just for what I had done or what I'm doing, but it was for what I will do as well. And so in that moment, it was like I was invigorated because it's like I can, I can walk now knowing that even when I mess up, I have a God who is an advocate for me in Jesus Christ. Even when I sin at the greatest level, Jesus is advocating. He's literally saying, Father, look at me before you look at him. Look at me through him. So all you see is me, not Bren. Maybe that's what you need to rest on. Maybe that's what you need to do. See, our sins, our failures, our biggest mistakes, even our repeated mistakes are forgiven in Christ Jesus, if you are his. Forgiven. Now, I think the reason why that struggles to sink in is because we view God's forgiveness of us on how we forgive others. And that's just, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We have to remember what Jesus has forgiven us of and how his forgiveness is complete, not lacking in anything. And his grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. And it's lavished on you. It's overwhelming you over and over and over again. So, turn from them. If your life today lives in a way that is not true to the scriptures, turn. Repent. So repentant means turn from that. By the power of the Spirit, walk free from that. Say, God, no more. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is not of you. And you repent and you turn in every way you possibly can. You set up the guardrails. You involve community in it. You bring people around you to hold you accountable in it. And you surrender to the scriptures and you spend in prayer. And what happens is you walk in the freedom that he already gave you in Jesus Christ. See, when we are repentant, here's the thing I think that many people forget. When we are repentant, so often we think, even when we think about repenting of the lack of forgiveness or the fact that we're not loving people, many of you right now, like I'm hoping maybe are, are, are feeling the conviction of like, wow, my life has not been on mission at all with people that don't know Jesus. Like maybe you're feeling that conviction. I think very often we think that conviction as a pushing us away from Christ when really a, a truly repentant person is drawn near to Jesus because it's the best spot to be. I don't, need to, I don't need to repent of Jesus and feel bad as if he's at a distance. Like, no, I, I can repent and Jesus is with me. He's with me in the middle of the sin. That's the anchoring us in the throne room of God to the, to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ that, that Hebrews talks about. So when we repent, our sin, our, our confessed sin should drive us to the Savior, 
not away from him. And one of the ways that we do this as believers is in communion. And so we're going to take communion. If you don't have it, you're welcome to grab some. But one of the most beautiful things we can do is draw near to Jesus through communion. So grab the elements. We'll come here in just a second. When we come to the table as someone who's been adopted into the family of God, we are reminded that we are to do so in a worthy manner. And I think, again, even saying this on a day like this where we felt like, I don't know, as we've been just been praying, we felt like in our own lives and as God was doing something, that, that, that as a body of believers, there's a lot of surrender that needs to happen. And I think it'd be really easy for us, again, to, to, to stop, to wait, to not, not want to give those things up because we believe the lie, like, oh, I'll just, I'll just fix it, and then I'll go ahead and bring it into light as if it won't absolutely cripple you again. And so one of the ways that we come to the, the, the table in a worthy manner is, is by doing so with no unrepentant sin. And again, I, I want to I be really clear on this. And if, if I have not been clear on this, please forgive me because it's not my intent. There is nothing you can do, no matter how shocked and how appalled and how gross I may think you are because of some sin in yourself. That does not change the view of how God views you in Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do that you're going to say to Jesus, he's going to go, I had no idea. He's going to say, you're right, and I went to the cross for that. So stop carrying what is not yours to carry. Come to me and let me hold you. Stop believing the lie that I must be crucified again. Jesus does not scold you if you are his. In fact, the, the fear of him saying, Lord, Lord, I ne- or, away from me, depart from me, I never knew you, is completely nullified when you surrender to Jesus Christ today. You don't have to even think that that's a possibility because my salvation, your salvation, is not held or contingent on what I do or don't do. It's based on Jesus Christ. And so if you are sitting here today getting ready to approach the throne room of God in the, in the sacrament of communion, which is just a symbolization of Jesus' broken body and spilled blood for us, while withholding sin, forgiveness, withholding forgiveness by withholding and not repenting of sin, you are, you are taking this in an unworthy manner. And you're, you're actually going through the motion of saying, Jesus, I want your forgiveness, but I don't want to ask for it. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And so as a body of believers, as we take communion, if you're here today and you're like, man, I, there, I am a part of a division. Like, I'm, 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 I'm doing this. I'm like literally divided from people. And I know, I know I've sinned against them, but they've sinned against me, so I justify my sin because my sin is just a little bit lower than their sin. Man, go be reconciled. Literally, get up, walk out. No one's going to look and be like, oh, sinner. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. I would celebrate those who confess that which is darkness before God who can take every bit of it and has shown that not just in, his, in our theology, but has shown that in the action of Jesus on the cross, which is what we're about to celebrate. So take it in a worthy manner. If you're here today and you say, I don't know who Jesus is. I realize by, if I look at my actions, I said I believed once, but I've never really truly received. I've never really walked in that. I've never lived in that. Man, praise God that you're recognizing that. That's a gift from him. Now surrender to him. It's not too late. 
Surrender to him. Literally fall on your face and say, God, I am not worthy of you. My sin has kept me from you, but my sin was not too much for you. And you displayed that on the cross, and you have grace upon grace and forgiveness. But guys, I, I, maybe it's just because I'm, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm a fool. Maybe it's because God is doing a work in my heart, but I don't want to go through the motions, and I don't want any of you to do it. I don't want any of you to have to stand there and go and hear from Jesus like, no, you're, you're not a part of me, away from me. I never knew you. And I refuse to believe the lie. I refuse to believe the statistics that talk about how many people in this room today will literally not be walking with the Lord in 10 years. I refuse to believe that because I believe God is bigger than statistics. And he's greater than that. And it starts today. It starts today. Don't be afraid. And so we're going to take communion because I've gotten way over my time. Forgive me for that. Now you know why I only chose two today. When we partake of the bread and juice in faith that symbolizes Jesus' work on the cross, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being nourished. We are being, we are being nourished spiritually by body and blood in Jesus Christ. When we do this, we're, we're not only remembering what he has done for us in forgiveness, we're remembering that he is forgiving us right now. He is actively working out this salvation in us and that ultimately he will save us as well. And so we do this. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took this before his disciples, and I love this. Real quickly, sorry. I love this. He did this before they really understood it. Think about that. This is in the upper room. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. He breaks his bread. He does this whole thing, and they're like, whoa, what, what is going on? And he does it, and he says, no, 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 let me invite this. Even though you don't fully understand it, let me invite you into this table. Let me do this. So the night he was betrayed, he broke the bread and said, this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup, which represents his sacrificial death. This is the cup, the blood that was spilled, that allows you and I to walk in freedom without sin. To walk in freedom knowing that there is no penalty for our sins on us anymore. It's been paid for in Jesus, on Jesus, in the cross. The full, completed work of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can drink it. So we can drink this and remember him knowing that this is blood. It's a new covenant. And out of that new covenant, we get to love each other and forgive as he's forgiven us. And we do this in remembrance of him. As the band comes up, we're going to sing. I'm going to give you one more chance and then I'm going to pray for us. And there's a, a prayer room in the back. We'll have people available to pray for you. If you um, are overwhelmed by God's grace, come share that with us. Let us celebrate in that. If you are overwhelmed by your lack of, of, of repentance, Come share that. Let us walk with you. By the way, do it today. Don't wait. Because God's grace is oh so good to live in. Pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding me. I thank you for reminding me that um, there are people in my life that literally are not able to go where you are because they have not surrendered to you. And God, I pray that that would give um, me more desire to show them who you are in action, in word, in inconvenience of my own self, Lord. I pray that you would help me to continue to die to myself in the areas that, that I refuse to. And Lord, um, thank you for being so merciful, so gracious to me in spite of my shortcomings, my sins. And God, as there are people in this room right now that are carrying way too much heaviness, God, would you help them to lay that before the throne, lay that before the cross? It's not theirs to carry. 
for your children that are here today that maybe feel, um, maybe they feel a little too beat up. God, I pray that it is not my flesh that has beaten them up, but instead your spirit is convicting them. And in that conviction, God, would you remind them there is grace upon grace upon grace in you. And God, for those that maybe confess something to you today, pray that you give them the courage, the audacity to invite community to do it with them so that that darkness can lose all of its strength in their life. God, you are faithful, you are good, and as we sing to you right now, I pray that we'd sing as a people um, broken before you, a people forgiven before you, a people that aren't going through the motions. God, I pray that we wouldn't just say, I surrender and not surrender. So whatever you ask us to do, if that's sitting, then God, let us sit before you. If it's on our faces, on this cold concrete floor, then God, let us get on our faces before you. If that's bringing someone into prayer, even a perfect stranger, whether it's back in the prayer room or it's in um, the person that, that came here with them or sitting next to them, God, do so. And if it's standing, proclaiming, and singing with joy or sadness, God, we do it. We do it all for your glory. We thank you for uh, drawing us to you. We thank you for saving us. And we thank you ultimately for giving us the means and the ability to live out that faith, which is ours, that has been a gift given to you, given to us by you through faith alone in Jesus alone, by grace alone. It's in the powerful, majestic, and glorious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him 